Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. Dave and Jacqueline bring you up close and personal to the innovators, contributors, and creative minds in and around technology today. Visit our website portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. There you will find a full list of our broadcasts from all across the technology spectrum, our social media handles, and related content. So sit back with Dave and Jacqueline as they serve up Technology Expresso, fast, hot, and intense. And hello and good evening, everyone. I I had to get my mind ready to say good evening. We're used to the afternoon uh, edition of Ask the Analyst, but we're going uh, after hours, so who knows where the, the topics will go. We've had a full day of, of business analysis, and so uh, now we're ready to talk about it. We might have some, you know, might have some carryover depending on what kind of day we had. So, <laughs> and I'm really excited because we have with us uh, Coop, Cooper Smith of B2T Training, the president of B2T Training, uh, a long-time well-respected analyst in the field. So first of all, welcome, Coop. Hello, Jacqueline. How you doing? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Awesome. Really excited about tonight's topic. So Yeah, me gonna... too. Usually I'm a I'm a morning person, but I'm uh I'm all fired up. Ready to go. Excellent, excellent. Also on the mic we have Tasha Hurley. Hello, Miss B A Extraordinaire. Oh, you're too kind. Hello, hello, everyone. Good evening. Good evening. Really excited to be here. Well, Thank you, Jacqueline, for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, uh, hanging out with us late night after a hard day of PMing, <laughs> that's project management, <laughs> uh, is David Blackman. Absolutely. Hi. Hello, everyone. Thanks for uh, thanks for allowing me to sit in with the uh, BA crowd. Uh, I do it at work daily. <laughs> We've got an interesting dynamic where I'm on my current um, assignment where the BAs, PMs, and the project managers all reside in the same group. So it's one happy family there. Absolutely. Well, welcome, welcome. Just more perspective uh, and, and more point of view. So we welcome that. Tonight, I'm going to play more of the uh, moderator uh, among, I, I mentioned as we were queuing up for the show, we got a lot of brain power. So I get to kind of sit back tonight and just play the moderator and looking forward as we hit some frequently asked questions. Between our, in the last two weeks, I've been sending out uh, messages and requests and, and inviting people to call in to our voicemail system and, and leave messages. And uh, also reached out to our various instructors within B2T family. Um, and Allie, actually uh, one of our instructors, some of you may have been taught by Allie, uh, was uh, one of the people who sent us back a really robust list. And uh, unfortunately, she couldn't make it with us tonight. We just want to thank her for the questions and look forward to her in future episodes weighing in on some of the answers as well. But we'll do our best 
to to acknowledge and and answer those questions because uh, the reason why I went that route with tonight's episode is that even though uh, the BA role is being de- defined, we have organizations like the IIBA. I don't know about Coop and and Tasha, but I know that I still talk to people, and whether they're in the IT industry, whether they're actually business analysts, I'm still getting some of the same questions uh, because there still seems to be a lot of blurred lines, a lot of gray area for some people, uh, whether they're just entering the field or even exploring the field. So hopefully maybe we can clean some things up or at least give them uh, some insight based on our experience. So with that, I say, let's get to the questions. How about that? <laughs> so let me start off. The, our first question was, what do I do if I get on a project in the middle of it and don't understand what's going on? So that sounds like a frequently asked question, I know, for me. So, Coop, I'm going to start with you. All right. Well, let me say before I answer the question, that I'm excited to be on the line with some great BA minds and a, a PM that I love. So it's not every day you get to do this. Um, so my my answer to this question is fairly simple. It's get your hands on everything that you can and do it fast. Uh, sit with your PM or your sponsor or whatever key stakeholders that you know and determine where things are. And I, I actually think the beauty this, it's better as a BA because, you know, BAs sometimes struggle with uh, organizations coming to them with a solution and they have a hard time rolling them back to understand the need. Well, if you get dropped in the middle, then it's actually a great time where you can say, hey, I need to get up to speed. Um, help me understand what are the goals, what are the objectives, what outcomes are we looking for, all that stuff that you try to do at the beginning of a project. You should be you know, you have this right and it it would make sense and people aren't going to complain at that time or push back like, oh, don't worry about the goals and objectives um, because you're in the middle and you're just joining the team. So, so find, you know, then there can be documents that are already out there and do some document analysis and try to get up to speed. Excellent. Excellent. Sounds good to me. How about Tasha? How about I throw that to you? Um, I, I would agree with what exactly what Coop has already said. I will also say, you know, definitely targeting those kickoff documents, any kind of PowerPoint presentations, any kind of roadmaps, um, milestone documents, gate, you know, gating documents or whatever that kind of can capsulize, you know, and summarize where you've been, where you are, and where you're trying to get to. Now, I'll say this. I've found in more recent years that kind of documentation is a lot more accessible than it used to be in the past because really everybody wasn't always documenting at that level so that you could get a clear picture of the roadmap. But I always find that those are very important. Any kind of workflow documentation is important. And if you're working with any kind of cot off, you know, off-the-shelf type um, uh, package or software, you know, grab hold of the user manuals and just start training yourself on that, at least so you understand um, if it's the package that you're implementing or the tool set that you're going to have to use as a BA grab those as a quick and easy ways of really familiarizing yourself with 
your tools, with the products, with the vendors or whatever, and um, definitely background information about your industry is helpful and key as well. Um, And that's just what I call getting Tasha smart. So, you know, do your homework so that you come with questions because that that dialogue that you spawn off with a senior BA, your lead BA, or your PM, or someone in that mentoring capacity, when they understand that you've got some skin in the game and you've taken time to do some homework, it really helps to build relationships and you get to be a little more resourceful um, more quickly. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, just to summarize, I said that I was going to be more of the moderator, but what I heard is, is you, you're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to get a little bit dirty, roll up your sleeves, um, and at the same time, something you hit upon as well, Tasha, is start building those relationships early as well. So that's just a few key points. David, how would you like to uh, comment on that and or add to what they've said? Well, first, I'd like to say I'd like to echo those same sentiments by Coop and Tasha. And from my position as an infrastructure project manager, a lot of my uh, projects are infrastructure and software related. So, yes, I agree. That's a great time for a, 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 a BA to come in and uh, you're almost able to relax a bit because all the uh, hard work on the front end um, ha- has been done. The, w- the way I see my projects developing in the interaction with my BAs is their, uh, their involvement heavy on the front end and on the back end after after they've defined the requirement and we define the architecture uh, that's going to support that software, we go out and do the build. Once the build is done, I'm turning it back over that environment over to the BA and the business line to manage the testing of whatever platforms that we've rolled out, whether it be dev, QA, UAT, and eventually production. So on the back end, that BA is back in the mix, uh, managing the requirement, uh, right, uh, cap- capturing the uh, backlog items and things like that. So, yes, they should be in there uh, uh, getting spun up with the uh, PM, uh, uh, going through whatever artifacts are available, the existing business case that was developed, the vision and scope documentation, and anything else to define their requirement. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it's fun, Coop, having company because, you know, uh, being able to, to hear uh, those different perspectives, and it, it made me uh, I have a big smile on my face because there there are different sides to it. And even to our audience, I just want to remind them, we do have our microphones open. Um, we have someone that will uh, monitor the phone lines. If you're interested in weighing in on this, this question or any of our questions, just as you, if you're sitting on the line, just press one and you'll be put in our queue and our sound engineer, Javon Grant. We'll uh, just touch base with you and, and make sure that we get you lined up for your comments as well. But I want to bring it back to you, Coop, since you gave us the, the first uh, response to this question. Did anything else, as, as everyone was talking, come to mind? Or how would you just wrap up uh, for this person asking this question? Well, I think, you know, what I heard from David is that he's saying the PMs do all the, the hard work and the BAs should <laughs> Love coming in. No. Right? It's, you it's that know way. I did oh. not say that. But, uh, hey, hey, it's easy. We can, we can take the gloves off. I'm on with it. Cause, uh, you know I didn't say that, but go ahead. No. We can get started early. Yeah, no, I know. Um, 
No, I, I mean, I really don't think there's anything much more to add. Is you know, I liked how you summed it up, Jacqueline. With you, you got to get dirty, right? And don't be afraid to to ask the questions. And you have the if you're getting dropped in, like I said, if you're getting dropped in in the middle, you have that uh, opportunity now to to ask those questions, give you you know weeks and months to get up to speed. So. Um, it's it's a fast thing. You have to know who to go to, and it does come down to building relationships and knowing who to talk to and who the best people are and having quick conversations, knowing what questions to ask them. Um, and, you know, Tasha talked about doing some homework about the industry and whatever you're working on, right? Um, whatever it is, make sure you're up to speed uh, with the domain and the industry so that you can make things relevant. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things in, in, in my experience when you're, you're dropped in the middle of the project, what you don't want to be, you don't want to be disruptive and uh, take people backwards. But at the same time, sometimes a, a little bit of a recap, I find it level sets for the team because sometimes it's, it's been a while since they've uh, maybe looked at some of the at those initial conversations and decisions that were made from the objectives and goals and that type of thing. And uh, so a little bit of a refresh that might be helpful to the team as well as you just kind of give them feedback on what you discovered from the, the homework that you've done for sure. Yeah, so. absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So that was our warm up question. So, so far, so good. <laughs> So, so let's talk about the next one. I, I have heard this one from students. How do I keep the business from going straight to the solution? So, Coop, we'll let you lead us off. Okay, sure. Um, so, one, I think this is a a bad question. I think we got, you know, people in our industry have to stop asking this and complaining about this because we're not in 1980 anymore and having Bill Gates and Paul Allen sit back and say, one day everybody's going to have a computer, you know, in their home or whatever. They're, they had some quote about having a computer on every desk and in every home. That was their vision in starting Microsoft. So we're not at that time where people don't know what a computer is. I mean, everybody we're dealing with today is walking around with, especially in the software industry, with solutions in their pocket constantly, right? I mean, we have so much technology in these little phones. Um, so everybody can envision solutions. So even in the, the 90s when there were a lot of big ERP systems being implemented, people were going from manual processes to these new software systems, automated systems. Well, they didn't even know what was a possibility. Um, so it was easy then to say, wait, wait, let's, we're talking about the business process and we're talking about the business need and you know, they weren't even, they didn't even want to talk about the solution. So then I think VAs got thrown off when business people that weren't technologists were coming to the table with solutions. Um, I think we got to stop asking. They're going to come with solutions because they see them all the time. They know what it is. So I, I think the real thing is the trick is how to thinking about how you roll them back, uh, even if they come with a solution. And accept that and say that's fine, but then roll them back to understand. Help me understand, you know, I see you've you've already gone through the thought process and have a solution. Help me understand so that me and the team could make sure we're hitting the mark. What's the overall need that we have to accomplish? You know, getting back to that business requirement type stuff. So um, let them come with the solution. Don't 
throw them off and get upset or get worked up, but find ways to roll them back so you understand the need so that then if you see there's a disconnect between the need and their solution, you could start to have conversations about maybe changing that solution. Very interesting, very interesting, very provocative. Tasha, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Throwing us some curveball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that because, you know, for those who are, you know, who know me and have been on projects with me, I'm all about the BA getting to what your requirement is. And to to Coop's point is, um, that we have to be prepared that they're going to come with that, right? And they're going to say, I want that to be a radio button. I want it to be a mobile app. I want to have a desktop view. I have access to them. I mean, customers are more savvy, right? So we have to go, you know, you have to, yes, step, help them to step back from, from, yeah, I understand what your vision is. And, and, and you have to acknowledge what the customer is saying to you, right, but making sure to paraphrase, okay, so what I hear you want is the system should be able to or the system should have the ability to collect, you know, this information or whatever. So I think we have to be encouraging of that, you know, and not be so, like, distraught because you're like, I'm a BA, I do what? The developers and designers and architects do how and all that kind of great stuff. And we can't shut down that creative juice, you know, that's coming our way. They're, they're good nuggets that we're going to get from our business. And it's just a matter of paraphrasing, getting them to step back and understanding what they really want, but acknowledging their vision. And so, I mean, exactly where Coop was going with that, that that's an excellent way of putting it because I can remember being younger in my in my journey and being like, oh my gosh, they're talking about buttons and radio, you know, radio dials and all this stuff. And um, you have to realize our customers are different now than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, if I'm not dating myself. But um, yeah, I think that's pretty much my perspective on it is definitely embrace what your customer is giving, where their vision is, their creativity. But part of a BA's job is also help them step back and be clear on what it is, what business need they're attempting to accomplish with what they they're envisioning. So absolutely, that's pretty much it. No, I I like this. I like what I'm hearing. So let let's get our our third uh, panelist, so to speak, uh, to to weigh in. So David, what what are your thoughts about what you've heard? Well, I agree with everyone else. Uh, yes, the Our business channels and clients are a lot more technically savvy. And it's okay if they've gone out and found a solution, but guess what? They've come to you, the BA, because they need a BA to manage the solution, to manage the want versus the need, as well as, um, you know, manage the delivery of that solution as well. You're very much necessary to manage the gaps and identify the gaps, uh, especially when you're dealing with outside vendors. Uh, 
that solution came from somewhere. So it's typically an outside vendor. At least that's that's been my experience. So you, as a BA, has to step in the middle between SMEs and those third-party vendors and ask the right questions and question the answers after that. So very much needed. Excellent. I, I like what you added to that because it, you're right. Instead of BAs fearing the fact that now we have more sophisticated users that kind of know what they want, know how to shop around, know their options, um, that there's still very much a, a viable role for the business analysts, uh, an important contribution that they have to make to help get that solution into place in the in the environment and all the other moving pieces. So, People shouldn't fear the fact that you have sophisticated users, but circling back around to what Coop said is, you know, respect that fact, and that just furthers the the partnership between the BA and the the product manager um, or the subject matter expert, whoever that 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 business owner is. Um, that just you guys can leverage that instead of what it sounds like going back to what Coop said, as well as what Tasha also um, added as well is leverage what they bring to the table and then build from there instead of trying to drag them backwards and saying, well, we have to do the, the, the why, we have to do this. First, at least acknowledge what they brought to you instead of being dismissive. That's probably the worst thing that, that you can do. So, so with, with that said, and, and again, bringing it back to, to Coop, anything that you would add, anything that you picked up on from uh, Tasha or uh, – David yeah, there was a phrase or term that David said that I loved, and it was he said uh, even though the the user, the business stakeholder user, you know, picked a solution, but they're still coming to you because they they need you, and I think it's that confidence that BAs need to have, and I think David, if I sum it up, that's what or at least that's how I interpreted what you said. It's like. You have confidence that you're needed, right, and you can do a good job and you can find ways to politely challenge and push back. They're they're coming to you for help. So don't just take it as, well, they came with the solution, I'll just go implement it. No, they most of the time um, good leaders and organizations are looking for feedback and, um, and the BA has that knowledge and that ability. So be confident. Absolutely. That's exactly, uh, that was exactly my point. I think the BA and PM has to be well-versed in um, not just giving the good news, that's easy, uh, you know, but framing the uh, the, uh, the bad news and, and putting it into perspective and, and make it uh, digestible by the, uh, by the business team and by the client. I think uh, the BA is very well, very good at doing that. Excellent, excellent. And like I said, that you know, that's a whole different way of looking at it. Like you said, that is, that is a common question that I've heard for for several years. Or you know, it's all about keeping them from going to the solution. And so, um, again, in our agile world, we are going to the solution uh, a lot faster, and then kind of then visiting the requirements and documenting what's necessary, the acceptance criteria. Uh, Again, and, and Coop, you and I talk about this uh, previously as well, is that business analysts have to be flexible. You, we have to understand that there is more, you know, the, the old saying, there's more than one way to uh, get to where we're trying to, to go. And I think, Tasha, you underscored that very well, is that you can acknowledge what they have and then just make sure 
and through, you know, as you're working through the process, get to those other key questions that also need to, to have value. We're not throwing them away, that knowing why you do it, what value it brings, that type of thing. We're not under, undermining that or throwing that out. Those are still valuable, but we can be flexible in the order in which we get to those points. That's what I'm, I'm hearing. Anything else you want to add to that, Tasha? No, I think I think that's I think that's a pretty good wrap up of of just all. I think that summed it up very well, Jacqueline. Excellent, excellent. So, how would I give you the next question? <laughs> I'm going to start with you. <laughs> I knew that was I knew that was it. I knew that was the same way. I knew it. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> She knows, she knows me. So our next <laughs> question, and, and to our audience, these are frequently asked questions. These are real questions that we get in the classrooms and students. Uh, we do our very speaking engagements, so I can vouch for them. These are real questions. So our next one is, mm-hmm. how do I get SMEs to get more involved? Ever had that problem, Tasha? Not you. Oh, never. I've never had that problem. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, yes. I've seen the best of sneeze, and I've seen challenging opportunities to win over sneeze. That's the way to look at it. I mean, I think part of that, as far as helping to get the sneeze more involved, okay, look, this is where we join hands with our project manager a lot of times, um, Mr. Blackman on the phone, and and you make sure that, you know, the, the expectations are clearly communicated, um, that we have the SMEs leadership commitment as well, you know, to the project. That's very helpful. Um, and then including that SME throughout the process. So, you know, as much as possible. Now, each project dynamic could be different, right? But keeping those lines of communication open, them keep, keep open, keeping them involved throughout the analysis process, scheduling regular meetings so they know what to look forward to, um, regular checkpoints just to recap where you are. And it also helps you as a BA to make sure that you're picking up the lingo, that you're building trust, which is a key element with your SME, Um, making sure that those checkpoints are there throughout design and development and, you know, the training process and if there's training material that needs to be um, developed or, or what have you, I think it's very key that you involve them as many points within the process, within the life cycle of the project as possible and on a regular basis. The worst thing you want to hear is for someone to say, oh, I haven't heard from my project team in like weeks, couple of days. I don't know, or the killer statement I don't know where my project is. I know for a PM, David Blackman, I know that that's just like just unacceptable completely, but I feel like the BA and the PM work very closely together to help that dynamic. So I think when you build that trust, then you get more out of them, you get cooperation, you get a lot more um, information and, and resource availability when you need it. So, I think a lot of it is communication and that regularity of setting up checkpoints and letting them know where they are, kind of giving them the you are here from the mall kiosk at all times. They should never have to question that. 
That's a excellent, excellent. Let me throw it over to to David. David, tell me what what comes to mind, especially again. You've got the PM perspective when you're you, you're trying to get you're struggling to get the SMEs to get involved to get engaged. Well, um, initially. Um, in the early stages of the project, um, I think it's important to, as Tasha said, um, uh, create that trust. Uh, but there's something else that's equally important, and that's and that's value. You have to uh, convey how much value that SME is uh, uh, to the project and the impact. Uh, you know, our project's not going to go anywhere until unless we can define the requirement and manage that requirement on the front end there's going to be a roadblock it's you're going to hit you're going to hit a wall and what's also important is uh the information gaps there's always going to be information gaps i ran into one yesterday that's why i was on a call at seven o'clock this morning because my uh the executives uh in the business line didn't know what was going on and they went over to my executives so i was on a call at seven o'clock this morning and uh uh, you know, and there was a gap. I saw some of the uh, some of the email strains, and uh, my SME was involved, but uh, they didn't include myself or they didn't include my BA in their responses. So that immediately created a gap. So I think it's also important for, uh, and this is a thing on technology that the information, our meetups, our meetings, our meeting minutes, um, our status reports are accessible, as well. Um, they've got to be accessible by our SMEs, as well as uh, uh, both executive channels on the business side, as well as the uh, delivery side uh, to be accessible uh, immediately almost, or, or so you can provide a link to where the information is so everyone is aware of where we are on a project. But uh, yes, value and uh, impact um, and, and, um, and that trust. Trust. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and something that you hit up as a, as a side note is setting up that communication. And it's got to be two ways, and that that transparency. You know, as Tasha said, keeping them in the loop, keeping them connected, keeping them informed, and at the same time, um, making sure that they have that that infrastructure. And everybody knows the rules of engagement on how we can have those conversations. I I love to, and I get a chuckle out of some of my students when I say this, is let's set up the rules of engagement while we still like each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, don't wait to the heat of the moment and then everybody says, well, I thought you were, we were supposed to, no one told me, you know, I don't want to have those conversations. So while we're all still, you know, uh, doing our, our kickoff and handing out cake, let's talk about how we're going, what are our rules of engagement? Uh, because there's going to be those times when we're in the heat of the moment and uh, you want to be able to, to avoid some of those disconnects whenever possible. Uh, and I, I want to add to that because sometimes you can have negative stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they know their impact, and they still um, want, mm-hmm. want to, I guess, challenge that and sometimes be a little divisive or um, uh, almost derail the project. And at that point, you've got to have a good escalation path uh, so that not only they know their value to the project, but leadership at the sea level knows uh, their value to the uh, uh, to the progress of the initiative, and they can ensure that they are available or replaced. Excellent. Now, I, Koopa, I, I know, I know you, you've waited patiently, so now it's your turn, Koopa. I'm going to be quiet. They, Giving you a lot of food for thought, so have at it, Coop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, I love it. This, 
and a lot of um, the things I was thinking about were hit on. One of the things, you know, David used the word uh, impact. I was thinking it's like make sure everybody's aware of the risk of them not being involved. Um, same kind of thing. But, the, you know, when I, I kicked off the Atlanta IIBA chapter in 2005, so I think this was like this was nine years ago or so, and someone came up to me. We were doing in a meeting, and someone new to the role comes up, and they're like, Coop, what, you know, I'm on a project, but I'm not allowed to, to talk to the subject matter experts. Their management team won't let me. What do I do? And my advice was, uh, I see you have a badge, you know, uh, an ID. I said, go to your boss, hand it in, and say, thank you. It's been nice working with you, but I got to go, right? Because there's no way you're going to be successful if you don't have access to the people that have the knowledge that you need. Um, so, you know, to David's point and Tasha's point, it's it's not a a fact of this is a must, right? You have to make this happen, so figure out ways to do it. Um, it there's another story I just heard today. So I'm teaching a CBAP prep class, uh, Certified Business Analysis prep class, and um, one of the women in there were talking about a project she's on and how it, it got to a point where they were getting to requirements sign-off and the development team was getting ready to, to start to build. And... Uh, all of a sudden, the, an executive came to this sign-off meeting and saw a number of things that um, she had to derail the project a little to to make sure it got clarified. So she was she was asking me, well, what you know, what do I do, you know? And she's thinking, how could I have done this better? What happened? And we talked through the process. And one of the things was this executive had somebody else as a proxy to be part of the uh, the team. So um, the this proxy was all ready to sign off, but then this executive came and things got out of control. So similar to there's some information gap here. So I think what you have to do, even if you get subject matters uh, involved, uh, do you have the right subject matters involved, right? Um, and that's key. So it's not even just getting subject matters. It's do you have the right ones? And in this case, um, you have to trust and validate, right? So you can trust if someone says, you know, I'm the ultimate decision maker, but I'm sending Joe to the meetings and he's going to be the one making decisions for me. What well, You can't just blindly trust that that person is communicating up and down and getting all the right information. And this was a perfect example of that happening. So, so as a, uh, a good team member, you have to ask them what's the – do you guys have a good process in place to be sharing information um, and getting information so that we can keep the project moving forward? Because if there are delays with approvals or prioritization, whatever it is, then it's just going to, if we're not getting those, then obviously the project gets delayed and other things come out of that. So validating that you have a good, that those people, right, have a good um, plan in place and how they're communicating. If they're not, if they don't, then figure out ways that you can help and offer ways to help to get information to David's point about getting information accessible. And I do think we have to get creative, right? Of, um, I think we get caught into this, well, the way it's going to happen is we, you have to come to a meeting and that's where you're going to hear the information. Um, if you don't make the meeting, we're going to cancel it or blah, blah, blah. And the, some of the, the smart people that we need 
the the ones that know the information, have the information, can make decisions, we know are extremely busy. Um, so it's very hard to get them at every meeting and doing stuff. So um, this isn't something that I came up with, and I wish I could remember the source, but um, this this group was trying to get a business case signed off on and approved. And, again, it was high-level like board members or executives had to approve it. What they did was they they gathered information and started putting it together and just put it along whiteboards um, and said, okay, in two weeks we have a meeting to get approval. You guys go in. Whenever you have a minute, go in to this conference room where we have these all this information up on the whiteboard and go ahead and give us your comments. Let us know what's not making sense, what you want changed, uh, what we can do differently. And then so they kept coming in, right, and giving comments, and then the team would see the comment, react to it, and update, would do whatever they had to do, and people would keep coming in. And then at the end, everybody saw it enough times that you could get sign-off. So to get people involved, you have to be creative and do different things to to give them the opportunity to be involved. Don't just say, this is the way it's going to be. Um, if you don't come, it's your fault. Um, so uh, the other, there's one more piece. Sorry for keep on going, but this is a, a, a great topic and a great question. It's a struggle that everybody has. I think, you know, uh, to your point, Jacqueline, uh, you call it the rules of engagement um, or terms of engagement. Um, it's, it is about getting the team together early on and talking about how we're going to collaborate. So, again, it's not just you as the BA or the PM coming up with this. It's the team saying, okay, we're a team. How are we going to collaborate? What's the best way? And get, you know, while it's new and fresh, get everybody on the same page. So, and have that collaboration agreement up on the wall so everybody's aware of it, everybody sees it, and update it as necessary. No, excellent, excellent. You know, I, I have to uh, throw this over to Tasha. Tasha, when he said sign-offs, I had uh, chills. You know, I just had flashbacks. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Serious business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up, you know, for all of the tools and techniques and ideologies at the end of the day, like I, I like that you brought up about being creative. And and that was something that, that we did when we ran into some of our challenges, Tasha, you know, the, the whole sign off process and, and that type of mm-hmm. thing. So talk about some of the creative ways that, that you've had to uh Trick, <laughs> trick. I'm going to say tricks me into <laughs> collaborating, whether they knew it or not. But what, what are some of your uh, uh, little tricks of the trade? Oh, oh gosh. Um, well, um, if I had tasks going on where you know I could use an, an expert, quote unquote, set of hands to review some things before we go to the team at large. Maybe it's requirements. Maybe it's a presentation. Getting their initial feedback on a couple of things. You know, I'll end up asking about stuff over the salad bar at lunch. I'm not beyond that. I mean, you get really creative with like, hey, you know, um, kind of watching um, just I think finding different ways to just Communicate, communicate with your SME. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a stalker, but, you know, sometimes the best conversations are in more relaxed um, 
outside yeah. being around the conference room table environment. And that's, again, another opportunity to communicate. If you keep hearing that over that underlying tone is communicate, building relationships, building trust, um, you know, getting their buy-in. So, like I said, including them in some of the touch point presentation, you know, getting the, giving them the sneak preview, you know, making making them feel like they're a part of what's going on, and you're not just shoving things down your um, constituents, your you know stakeholders' throat or your SME's throat all the time. That they're a SME, they're called subject matter experts. So utilize them, and they'll see your value too, because you'll end up finding that they'll start asking you questions as well, or how can you get me um, get us. Um, get the conversation more going around this way because I see it going in a direction that may go down a rabbit hole, so to speak, or whatever. So it's definitely just finding those different ways to get them involved in your process a bit, not writing the requirements themselves. I'm not saying that, but giving them a little bit of that sneak peek preview. So then when you go into your presentations and meetings, you have somebody, you have an ally already that can kind of help drive the conversation a bit and get buy-in from the other, quote, unquote, the other side of the table, which we're really all one big team. But at the end of the day, having that extra support out of your SME from building that trust, building that relationship, they've got a sneak preview into things. You're starting to communicate, asking questions, Um asking about what they they do day in the life if your project calls for that or whatever, or, hey, can you connect me with this person so I can see this piece of the business practice in action? You know, you see it live. There are all kinds of ways that you can um, connect with your SME and be creative. And um, I've seen it work very, very well. Yeah, I think Jacqueline, if I could chime in. I think the um, – actually, I didn't even wait for you to allow me to chime in. I just started going. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, we have our rules of engagement. I understand. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so the um, – you know, what Tasha, what you were talking about, at least how I envision this, it's the formal – I mean, it's formal versus informal. And I think we try to get into this formal – type review um, and it that's when things get a little haywire but if you're doing things in a more informal way um, that suits the the people that you're trying to interact with um, they enjoy that and in life you know people can't consume you know huge amounts of stuff right uh, at a time so if you do things in smaller chunks so you can have a quick conversation uh, or you run into them at the cafeteria line or, you know, you do stalk them and wait for them mm-hmm. to leave their office so you could, you know, have a quick conversation. Whatever it is, you know, it's doing things in small chunks. You know, it's like my daughter who if we put a big plate of food and she, like, freaks out. She's like, oh, you know, I can't eat all this. It's too much, blah, blah, blah. But if you give her a little bit at a time, she eats more than what was on the plate to begin with, right? So. It's that same concept of doing things in smaller chunks, and and that will allow you – people won't um, – I think some SMEs, because they're 
like like I was saying earlier, they're they're in the business and they're busy and they they have a whole slew of things. So if you constantly ask them to come to a two hour meeting or an hour meeting here and there, it feels like too much because they already have eight meetings during the day. But if you slowly give them things, then then they're going to get excited. And to your point, Tasha, then they're going to be like, oh wow, this is kind of cool. Now I want to be a part of it. It's exciting, and then they'll be more apt to, to join in the fun. Yeah, and, and circling back, sorry, Doug, we're just, you know, we're just rule of engagement. I'm just going to toss the ball, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but to that point, I mean, yes, speaking of, uh, I was reminded of we used to do cupcake signing parties for sign-offs. We would decorate the room. I mean, and we didn't necessarily go out and spend a lot of money and all that kind of stuff, or we put some music on and have all the documents laid out, because in our prior industry, it was it was regulated. So the signature process was a big deal, and it had to be signed exactly right. The date had to be in a specific format, and so we turned it into a, a cupcake party. Now, we had people you know, our BA team manning the documents. So it wasn't like we were just, you know, tossing back mellow yellows and eating up red velvet cupcakes and dancing and just people are just signing away. No, we had a process and a peer check process. But we found those kind of ways to do that or chunking up our discussions and making sure we stuck to specific topics. Um, within a, you know, a time slot or what have you, um, making sure we had breaks, making sure we did creative things as far as getting the information out of folks, whether it's post-it notes on the walls and, and building, like, um, lining the walls with paper bags or whatever, and letting people write their what they do, I'm talking about, for, so like, a process flow, hey, Mr. Smee, write, all the steps of your process right there. And then we're going to do that for like 10 minutes and then we're going to take a break and go up and everybody can put their sticky notes. And then, you know, it's just interactive and it makes it, instead of just sitting there and feeling like, okay, we're going to sit around a table for two hours and someone's just going to talk to me and we're going to go back and forth and we're going to banter and then we're going to write things on an action item and then we're going to plan for the next meeting to do the same thing again they look forward to, like, interactive, getting up, doing things, you know, um, being able to turn around and pull out the magic in your pocketbook, your BA, you know, or toolbox, fellas, sorry, um, <laughs> you know, and, and make magic happen and make and be able to turn it around where the sneeze and your champions can see their work manifest and being accessible and transparent, as David said and Clint said before. It's really finding creative ways of, of doing it. So people are excited when they hear, oh, we're going on a Jacqueline Sanders adventure or, you know, a BA requirements experiment, experience. People get excited. And when it's in bits and they know that you're going to stay with your start and your finish and you're clear about your goals, again, communication, then they're, they're looking forward to it. So. Absolutely. So let me try and jump in here between Tasha and, and Coop. They're, they're bobbing back and forth. They're on a roll. But, you know, no, you know, our question again was how do you get SMEs involved? In, and just recapping, like 
Coop said, like like we've all said, they're very busy. It, it's not just for just they don't want to. First of all, they they've got their day jobs in a lot of uh, circumstances. The other thing is is then when you get them to the meeting, make sure you use their time wisely. Be respectful of their time. Make sure it's a well-organized meeting, but that doesn't mean that you can't have fun. And I know in our world of training, uh, Coop, we know in the classroom you have different type of learners. you got to get some up and, and, and moving and involved. Others want to read. Some are, you know, visual, so we got to have something on the wall. And, and, I, and I dare say that, Tasha, in our world where we used to plan our workshops, we would do that. It, it, we whether it was consciously or unconsciously, made sure that it was multimedia, so to speak, to change up the room, the flow, the energy, um, using bright colors. We, Tasha, I go back to, we had that little rolling box. It was a crate that had the wheels. And uh, we would take a VA toolbox. Mm Exactly. So it had yep. colored this and it had sticky this and, and you know, different squishy balls or still stress, ball, stress balls and stuff. So, but um, it was to, you had to watch the energy of your room and that's just, that, that was part of that facilitation. But one other thing I wanted to hit upon, like you said, going to lunch, grabbing coffee with people. I've sat in people's office and not just come with my agenda of questions, but if I see that they're trying to multitask, I've helped someone like staple papers to prepare for their next meeting just to get their time and to talk to them, but also to help get something off of their plate, too, that I that I was able to help them with. So it's it's about being creative. It's about understanding your SMEs, engaging, empathizing, empathizing with them, um, and not make it a us or them, and um, being so hardcore about it. So it, it, I, I think that that's how I summarize what, what we've talked about. Uh, any, any last words from anyone on how to get your SMEs involved? Going once, going twice. Well, I say, well, on to our next question then. And and I want to tell our audience, we're doing frequently asked questions. These are real-world questions that uh, students have asked us and, and or uh, our listeners of the show have written in uh, as we've done this series about Ask the Analyst. This is all around the space of analysis and business analysis as we know it in the IT world, but we're always about expanding that view too. Um, and, and tonight, again, I just recap if some of you are joining us late, we have Coop Coopersmith of B2T Training, um, an analyst in his own right, and then also uh, the president of a company that does analysis training. We've got Tasha Hurley, who's also longtime, uh, very well-respected business analyst, and we have David Blackman, our project manager. So, and I just want to say hello to those out there on the the phone. We've got a couple of different area codes out there. We've got 904, and of course, we've got our our local 770-678. I saw another area code out there. I think we've got some, some people from Florida. I recognize that area code as well. Uh, that might be eight four one. I'm I'm trying to get my um, my honorary BA certificate. <laughs> I want to be known as a friend of BAs. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you're in. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll make you I'll a make certificate you, uh, tonight. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you had, this is your official induction ceremony, right? <laughs> Honorary BA, excellent, excellent. Raise, raise your right hand and repeat it. <laughs> I will always be nice to BAs. No. <laughs> um, 
so, okay, well, let's go to another question then. And I want to say to our audience, if you're on the line, you can press one. And if you'd like to give a comment, add to the conversation, if you have a question and you want us to answer, we'll start what we're doing to answer your question tonight. So um, just press one. Javon will uh, touch base with you and we'll get you in the queue. So we will take live calls tonight. Um, if you're being a little bit shy, uh, you can send us an email to technologyexpresso at gmail.com, and we'll pull those up and put those in the queue for future shows. So, uh, But let's look at the next question I have, which is, what do I need to document on an Agile project? Okay, Hans, who wants to, who wants to go there first? Coop, would you like to start off? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I oh. rendered him speechless, and that doesn't happen. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, what? What can I say about this? Whoa! I'm listening to this I'm one because hearing, I have a situation. Hearing. I'm listening. Oh, okay. I'm I'm hearing an echo on on my line. Do you guys hear it, or is it just me? I hear you loud and clear. You're good on my end. Okay, so I'll I'll work through the echo on my line here. Uh, oh, it stopped. Perfect. Um, so, so what do I need to document on an agile project? My, my response to that person is, well, what do you document on a waterfall project? Right? Cause the, the mindset should be the same, no matter whether you're doing quote unquote agile or, um, or waterfall. So I think by asking that question, it's kind of taking the wrong angle, right? Um, to me that it's coming from people that, maybe not that they wanted to, but they were instructed to do a lot of heavy documentation, had templates, and they had to fill out those templates uh, regardless of what's going on. But on an Agile project, on a waterfall project, um, on any type of project, you should be critically thinking about what's necessary, right? Um, Our friend Ken McDonald always uses the term uh, document with a purpose, right? So um, Agile doesn't mean don't document. Uh, it means document with a purpose. So think about what is needed. Are there things that you need for reuse? Um, are there not things that you need? Or is it just for the sake of documenting, right? If nobody's using anything, and, you know, this goes on all the time, that people are documenting stuff and they get tossed into a repository and never come out, right? Nobody ever looks at it. So so why are you documenting? If there's a reason for it, if it's meant to be saved for a future project, then great. Uh, things like business rules, right? They're, those are good things to document. Or, you know, if you don't have a uh, business rule engine or a database that's capturing all these things, then you should be documenting because a business rule is a business rule regardless of what system or solution you're coming up with. So um, you should have those. So, So my thought is, Work with the team, right? What does the team need? Um, where is the team? So if you're on an Agile team, maybe it is stories that are up on a wall and there's content behind those stories that uh, the team might need because it's just easier for them to see that. Um, but if your team's not all in the same room, if you know, how are you capturing the information and all the stuff that you have based on a story uh, and who needs that information. So to me, it's thinking about what do you need to document? And it's not even your, you should never ask me, like people ask me, what should I document? And I'm like, I have no idea. What do the people you work with need, right? So you have to view your job as uh, a facilitator 
or someone that helps other people do their job uh, more efficiently and better. So if your developers, if your business stakeholders to help make decisions around what problems we should go after and prioritize requirements, if your developers need stuff to help build the solution, if your QA analysts need something documented to test, then you should do it. Um, so, so don't ask us, right, uh, on the line. Ask the people you're working with what's going to make their life better. Uh, but at the same time, just because somebody says, a QA analyst says, I need this documented, you should try to figure out, you know, ask why and what's the value of it and when do they need it and how much do they need it and how formal does it need to be, et cetera. That's all I'm going to say for now. I'll let the, our other experts <laughs> chime in. Okay, okay. I'm I'm going to give uh, Tasha a little bit more time to marinate on that. I'm going to throw it to David, actually. David, what's your perspective about patients <laughs> on an agile project? Well, that's a, it was an interesting question um, coming from the uh, BA perspective because I actually want to know that myself. Uh, when you know, in my type of projects, uh, and and projects differ. There are some uh, software only projects where you're doing um, upgrades, an additional release. So um, I, I don't have any familiarity in that type of environment, but. Um, you know, so I'm trying to define that line um, as the BA, as my BAs are engaged with the uh, business line, the business channels, and the uh, third-party vendors. What are they capturing? What information are they capturing? You know, because uh, moving forward, I won't be involved in this early stage. Uh, you know, what we've defined is there's there's a stage where um, where it becomes an official project, and it's way after the requirements been developed and the business case has been developed and signed off, and the business case estimates have been provided as well. So I'm typically not involved at, at this point while the BA is on that front end. So I'm not quite sure what they're capturing, um, other than weekly minutes, uh, action items related to the uh, software development. So it doesn't sound like there's no formal documentation. As a PM, I've got a lot. I've got meeting minutes. I've got uh, uh, executive reports that I'm going to be developing, and that's uh, part of my uh, core functionality and my core purpose as a project manager. In the BA space, I think it's a, it's a little more flexible. It's not as rigid as uh, project management is, and uh, uh, there's no there's not a lot of definition of the actual documentation. And I'm saying that a question, and I'm trying to be respectful of the BA community. I'm not saying that they don't have any. I'm just not aware of what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that's yeah, and interesting. I, oh, go. go. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give a little to. bit of. <laughs> <laughs> you have Jack. Both of y'all are chomping at the <laughs> bit. I tell <laughs> you. Both of y'all want some of that. Flip a coin, y'all. Come on. <laughs> that late, ladies first. Uh, well, no, I, I just want to, you know, there, there's some context there because this is real world where um, even for both the PM and, and BAs who have been on traditional projects and then they find themselves on agile projects and they, they find themselves floundering. They're, they're used to that, that old way of doing things. Another thing that you kind of, and, and could, you may be wanting to speak to this too, there's different points in the project and you're going to need different types of documentation. You know, we talk, we break down. Uh, our agile, and we talk about from a portfolio perspective, and then we talk about the program perspective. We talk about then the team perspective. So, somewhat when David said business case, that made me think more of the portfolio level, the strategic level. So, 
it's different projects, it's different team makeups, it's different stages. But let me let me get, hand that back to you, Coop, to to have you expand on and make your points. Yeah, and that goes along with what I was going to say. So it, you know, um, and I've talked on other shows, and Jacqueline and you and I have talked about this at length, and I continue to um, strengthen my belief that it's all about decision making, and that should drive things that you do. So, um, you know, what a BA is documenting, David, I would, I would challenge you to go back to the team and say, well, for me to be successful in leading this project, here's the, the information I need, right? So how, how is the team that's um, working upstream? What are they doing and how are they documenting that? You need to be a part of that conversation. Uh, a good BA should include you as part of that conversation. And I think, I think that's what it comes down to. It's BAs need to, wherever they are in an initiative, decide or figure out what decisions need to be made and who's making those decisions. Um, so at the business case level, obviously there's executives or whoever approves business cases. What do they need to, to make the approval? What information do they need and how does it need to be documented? What's the way they want that information. Do they want it documented or they just want a presentation in PowerPoint and that PowerPoint could be thrown away once uh, once the meeting's over? I don't know. Uh, so it, it's thinking in those terms and working with all the stakeholders that you deal with to determine how you're going to do that. Now, uh, on the flip side, I do believe in consistency, right? So if um, if I'm doing a business case and Jacqueline's doing a business case to the same group, we should have some template, uh, some consistent approach of how we document that. So the people we work with day in, day out don't see uh, two different formats and have to figure out where's the information I need Should do it. But you shouldn't just complete something because it's in a process. If the team doesn't need it, don't do it. Does that make sense? It, it does. It definitely does. Absolutely. So, so Tasha, now, now you've had time to, to take this all in. So go ahead and set us straight. What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, well, I think all of the responses have been pretty, you know, on point with knowing exactly what's expected to, of your audience. So I think of it as, um, pretty much understanding who's going to receive the information and the documentation that you're going to be working on further downstream, okay? Now, from an agile perspective, of course, the first thing I think of are user stories, right, and epics and themes and, and, and laying out that territory. Since, and I'm thinking about this from the way that originally how the question was phrased about agile documentation. But, again, it depends on the type of project you're on. I mean, for instance, um, my first tenure of, uh, of adventure uh, with Jacqueline was um, an agile environment where we were, the VAs were documenting user stories, right? And then we were also giving input, almost laying out, in a different format, the test cases. It was a very unusual scenario, right? That was the re that was the demand or the request of the BA on that particular 
uh, in that particular situation. Then as we were going into another adventure later, it was a different type of project altogether where we were actually, um, Jacqueline, refresh my memory a little bit on the terminology that we, it was a Win 7 project where we were taking folks from the XP platform all across right. the enterprise over More into a Win 7 effort, right? And exactly. so a lot of my BA documentation for that was quite different than, and, and we ran it agilistically-ish, um, but, you know, instead of doing user stories, we were more involved with metrics and PowerPoints every week. And um, also, um, I want to say training guides, because it was, there was some data entry that was involved. So we had to keep refining manuals and things like that. So you have to be very aware of what the demands of your project are up front with the entire team, so everybody has ground rules, they know the rules of engagement, so to speak, and you know what are the artifacts that each role are primarily responsible for. And the reason why I say primarily responsible for is because when you're on a team, if you can help in other areas, then you pitch in, and that as long as you're not sacrificing your deliverables and your timeline. So um, I think you have to establish what those expected artifacts and, and deliverables are supposed to be up front. Um, but, uh, again, it depends on the context of your project. Um, another environment I was in, they were moving to the, I'm not even going to say it was agile, just like a scrum type of uh, process uh, in structure, and I, I would say, with the stand-up meetings and those types of things, but I was really responsible for taking care of intake requests and making sure that I set up meetings with all the tech folks to make sure that new versions of software were being deployed to specific business units within this big corporation. So, again, you just have to be really clear, and I think like Coop said earlier, you know, yes, if they're templates, yes, you want things to look consistent, you want them to be branded correctly, you want them to be professional and everything, but I think you have to be really clear with your team, your project manager, your leadership, what the expectations are of your um, of your customer, your client, for them to sign off on, yes, we've completed this piece of work on a project or an initiative or whatever. And and that needs to be established up front or else you'll have a lot of spiraling and chiming in and people getting artifacts and then the customer says, this isn't what I need. This isn't what I want. This doesn't tell me the traceability I need. So I think those establishing those rules of engagement and the expectations of the artifacts um, for approvals is very critical up front. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely You know, I, I have to, Coop, I can't help when we talk about Agile. I have to chime in a little bit on this. And at the end of the day, especially when I I read the question, like you said, what do I need to document on an Agile project? And the one thing that I say over and over is Agile is not a methodology. 
And so I think people have a mindset where they, they're used to methodologies that say you use this template and you will use this format and you will, you know, you know, complete the, the, the template and every section of the template. And that's not what Agile is. It offers you that flexibility. So it takes, and back to what you all have said, you know, you have to use critical thinking. You have to look at the, the factors surrounding your particular project, not just in the moment and what the team needs. And I think that's what sometimes people lose. They think about, okay, well, my developers just need this user story and a little acceptance criteria. That's all the developer wants. But, and Tasha hit a keyword. let's say you work in an environment that has audits and traceability is required. I know a project that did that. They went on for three years, and um, knowing that they worked in an environment that had audits and that traceability was one of those requirements, but they said, but we're agile, so we stopped doing our traceability. Um, they're backtracking now. <laughs> so, you know, you do have the team requirements as far as what has to be documented, but that Agile cannot excuse you from your other responsibilities and liabilities. So, you know, Agile wants you to be lean, and they, they don't want you to just solely lean on um, documentation. They want you to communicate, talk among each other, that type of thing. That's what's important, but they're not going to give you a, a get-out-of-jail-free pass if you have certain things that are required for whether it's training or maintainability or for the maintenance team that's got to maintain this system. If you have documentation requirements, um, Agile does not give you a, a excuse not to do that. So um, do the right thing. <laughs> that's that's yeah, why I, I'm going to it up. Go I, ahead, I'm Tasha. sorry. I, yeah, I, I think just on that note, I think people here at Agile, they think, wow, it's minimal documentation. Let's not document anything. It's just, <laughs> I, I hear that a lot. You know, uh, I hear it. And, you know, I hear it quite a bit, I will say. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not the key. I mean, Agile is getting the essential documentation that you need, essential need to be defined up front with your project team. Agreed, agreed. So any final words from you, Coop? I'll let you close out that topic, and then we'll move to our fifth question for the night, and I think this is the last one we're going to get in for the the night. But any final words on our question about Agile and documentation? No, no, I think you, you summed it up perfectly. It is, you know, do what's necessary, document with a purpose. Right, and there is no... There's no set thing, um, and in my opinion, there's there was no set thing in a uh, in a waterfall world either, right? So it's it's back to that mindset of thinking really critically, thinking about what is needed and do it do it if it's needed. If it's not, then don't and keep you know keep checking yourself, right? Um, don't don't do lessons learned when it's too late, right? Um, so especially if you're on an agile team, you should be doing them more frequently and constantly learning and deciding, oh, you know what, we got burned because we didn't have something documented. Well, let's start doing that and continue to adapt and evolve. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's squeeze in this last one. And it's kind of a whopper. And I'm going to say to our audience, if we don't get all your questions answered, <laughs> Please send us follow-up questions, send us comments. Uh, I'm going to be posting out there uh, a number that even when we're off the air, if it's in the middle of the night, you can't sleep, 
call us, leave us a message, and we will get your, we will pull down your question and make sure it gets in the queue. But this last one is, how do I know I'm not missing anything? And I don't even know where to begin with that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Coop, do you want to take a slice at it? Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, this is another one of those questions that you have to almost get over right uh, and be and be open to that things are going to be missed um there's just no way that you can capture everything it's it's putting things into place that allow you to to check and make sure that uh, if you do miss something that you have an opportunity to correct and move forward and that you know we just talked about agile so agile sets sets you up for that um and the way that you don't miss things is if you work on something that is small enough, if you chunk it up and you do it in small iterations, that for that iteration, you're probably not going to miss anything. Uh, because if something's tiny and you're focused on it and you're working just on that, then you have the opportunity to, to flesh that out and, and move forward with it. Um, so I'm going to use uh, an example of when my wife and I uh, moved to a new part of Atlanta into Decatur, I had a house built, and we missed a big requirement. And I think it was because of that same concept. So um, we we have it's a two-story house with a basement, and we you know the bedrooms are upstairs, and those we we nailed. We were like really focused and thinking on. You know, what size does the master bedroom need to be in each kid's bedroom and the closets, and how are they going to use it? Um, and we measured and we adjusted and we got things good. So, you know, the bedrooms there were perfect. The the main floor, we caught everything because we thought in detail. We were really focused on it. But when we came to the basement, we weren't finishing the basement. So um, it was like we didn't put much focus on it. We just looked at the garages down in the basement too. We were like, yeah, the garage is big enough. Basement is fine. Yeah, let's let's focus on this other stuff. What we missed in the basement area, what we missed was like an outside storage area. So I don't have a place, a good place to like put my lawnmower and yard tools and all that. And partly it's because we weren't focused on it. It was like, ah, it's the basement. It's unfinished. Let's just move on. Um, so I think that you know, when I thought of how do you avoid things from being missing, I thought of that story and um, was like, well, you know, it's it, what was it? What was the reason? And it, it was a lack of focus. I, I think the other thing um, is, and, and this is where I think organizations don't value analysis enough because analysts should be thinking about the details, but they should also be thinking about the big picture and seeing impacts. Um, and I think those are things that go missing more often is when you're just siloed thinking about your initiative um, and not thinking about the world around you. And people in the analysis space that are really good at this are constantly doing this. They're trying to think of, okay, if we do this, what's the impact to everything else around us? Um, and and it avoids missing making mistakes, right? Um, not just missing requirements, but making mistakes. So. Um, those are two things I wanted to, to hit on here, and I'll let Tasha and David take it from there, and I'll chime back in. Tasha, why don't you why don't you give us your thoughts on it? 
I just have to take a big sigh on that one. <laughs> I mean, I've been just sitting here pondering, like, you know, and I think Coop hit it right on the head. I think you have to get to a place of confidence where you don't know what you don't know. And there are some meetings, there are some conversations that are going to happen outside of you. Um, and some of that you can't prevent. You know, it could happen at higher levels, right, or in a staff meeting or whatever the case may be. But um, but I think you do your due diligence to provide those um, vehicles for communication, um, uh, you know, parking lot areas, decision areas. Um, and, and what I'm speaking of is like what we would use is, you know, tools like SharePoint or someplace central where you can share information. Now, the tool is only as good as as the process that it it gets used, but, I mean, there's just a point where you know there could be, you know, the boogeyman under the bed that no one knows about except for the one person who's been on sabbatical for six weeks, right? You know, and so, (laughs) you know, sometimes those things are going to happen, but um, I think through, you know, thinking through the big picture as far in advance, and, of course, with more experience, you kind of plan in your head for the what ifs or the what wins, I'll say, um, when this happens, because nine times out of ten it may happen. I mean, you want to think um, – you want to go in with a positive outlook on it, and I think when you – look at it that, okay, all right, if I miss this or if I miss that or something comes up, let me make sure that my project, my process, that our process is a team and that if you're seeing gaps or whatever, um, you know, don't be afraid to raise your hand and say, hey, you know, even if you pull your project manager to the side, your screen to the side, did you think about or did we forget? Keep your own, you know, question list, like you were just saying. It's, you know, even with this program, if something comes to your mind in the middle of the night, I, I know this is crazy, but I do keep a piece of paper on the nightstand because sometimes things will come to me, and I'll just go, let me write it down, and I can go back to sleep. But um, just know that you there, there might be things that get missed. But if you're doing every effort, to make sure that you're communicating, that you're transparent, that you're building relationships, that you're building trust, that you can put your hands on the documentation and anyone can see where you are in the process. If something does get missed, you've kind of got that relationship to kind of work it to figure out how can you recover from it or accommodate for it, um, hopefully in time. Uh, But you know, at the end of the day, you're dealing with human beings, right? And things are going to happen. And you just have to be confident and prepared for those things to happen and build your confidence, build your experience so you can recover, hopefully gracefully, you know. But um, it, it, that recovery and the elegance of recovery comes with experience, and um, I think on our last program that we were on together, we talked about as you get more comfortable with 
doing things and 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 getting in embracing the unexpected <laughs> and embracing change, then you recover and you react differently. Your confidence builds with it. So um, just know you there's a great possibility you will miss something, but keep your eyes on not just the details as a BA because you hear us talk about details, being in the details. The the love is in the details, right? But you got to keep your eye on the big picture too. And I think mm-hmm. that that's key. You know, I'm 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 jumping at the bit on this one too. I I think I've been pretty good at, at playing moderator for most of the night. Uh, the <laughs> the one thing that I also want to add to both what Tasha and what Cooper saying as well is I think that sometimes people underestimate when I when I hear that question sometimes. Um, how do I know I'm not missing anything too? Sometimes people rely on, and I've heard someone say, their SMEness, <laughs> their knowledge of the subject matter, and they're going by gut instincts of what they know uh, about a particular subject matter. And sometimes I said, if if you do come from that kind of subject matter background, you need to rely on the tools, and that's the analysis part of it. You need to dissect it. You've got to break it apart. You've got to, um, you know, do the critical thinking. You have to run scenarios. You have to do your fact-checking. That's the analysis part. That's the, the A in business analysis. That's the, that's the A part. And so you, you, you do your due diligence, and I think it's to Tasha's point, too, and something that, you know, we, we've experienced this um, in the real world. You, you do your due diligence as much as possible, but you also let yourself off the hook because there's just some things you don't know that what you don't know until it occurs. You want to take the feedback of the, the you know, what you learn. And that's something I tell my students, too. Not just after the project goes live, but after the users had time to use the product, going back and doing a post-assessment to see what they liked, what they didn't like. And I use that as my input as to what other questions could I have asked or what will I ask on the next project. And I kept building up my repertoire of different types of questions, different ways of asking the questions. And that's that, and Tasha said this, and Coop said this as well, that's just something you build up over time. But you know, my main thing would be is don't underestimate the value of analysis. And this is why we emphasize continuous education, because there's always new techniques coming out. Like Coop might know, you you just taught a CBAP class. So I think 2.0 had, you know, a set number of different techniques. I think it doubled <laughs> from, you know, uh, the BA box 2.0 to 3.0. So new techniques are coming out. Um, new ways of dissecting and and just new you know thought you know and, and concepts around analysis. So stay fresh, keep continue, you know be a lifelong learner because this is a it's a great space and and they, we're always discovering new things. So I just want to add that to you all to comments and David, you know we're going we're going ba deep on you right now. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being patient. Patience is David. Ad- a good project manager. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to let me let me let David throw in and then then Coop can can bring us home? But sure, sure. Okay. So uh, the question was, how do you know what you're missing? Yeah, if you're not missing something as a business analyst, when you're right. Well, well, well. As, as I'm going to try to uh, 
tiptoe around that, just tip my toe into that environment. Uh, not too much. I don't want to put my foot in it because that's not my area of expertise, but uh, uh, I've been getting some pretty good exposure to the BA environment. It's, it's hard to capture that, but uh, from a project manager uh, perspective, and Coop and, and uh, Tasha both hit on some key words that I jotted down on the early end, um, but all of, you know, you're doing the heavy lifting and you, the major activities you're capturing, and you have to re- rely on that. You also have to identify what the dependencies are and uh, what the predecessors and the successors are. It's hard to, uh, from a project manager, it's hard to miss um, anything key because there's dependencies. Uh, you know, I can't install a server without an IP address. So, uh, you know, everything has its own um, weight. Uh, so uh, one word, that one key phrase that Tasha uh, pulled up that I had written down, and that was how you recover. I'd written that down. Um, Coop mentioned impact. I'd written that down. Uh, risk uh, wasn't mentioned, but risk and impact go hand in hand there. So uh, collectively, uh, both of them hit on uh, all the key phrases. But um, with PMs and our schedules and our documentation, it's, it's, it's hard to miss things. There are some little things, uh, you know, when you're building architecture from an infrastructure project manager, you know, it's, it's hardware. It's hard, to, it's, it's hard to miss some key activities because you can't move forward because there are dependencies. Uh, in the BA world, I think it's easier to, uh, to miss things. Um, so... Uh, in that in that respect, I think you have to rely on your SMEs and your project managers and your own skill sets. Um, and here's one that I, I, I picked up from you. You you have uh, you, sometimes you just have to listen. As a BA, you have to listen, and um, when the answer is given, then question the answer. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that starts to peel the onion back and may uncover some little nuggets that might have uh, uh, fallen through the cracks. Period. Yep. Absolutely. You have to have fine-tuned ears. Listen for those key words. Coop, what what final words do you have for our audience? We went through our, our first five. We, we, our list is, we've got it queued up next time. We're going to talk about time management, how much technical skills you need, uh, what type, how to raise issues when you don't have enough time to do what you need to do. Those are just some of the, the questions. And, and keep the questions coming, I want to say, to our audience. Because what do you want to say to our audience tonight about our, our first round of frequently asked questions? Well, I, well, I, I would just say, I would just say keep them coming. Keep them coming. Um, I, I think the, the questions themselves are, are deep. I think the answers we're trying to give are, are as deep. Um, and, and it's, it's no surprise, I guess, that there are um, these types of questions. And Jacqueline, you kicked it off. Like, um, it feels like sometimes I feel like, man, are we still answering these questions? Um, but I think we're always going to be answering them. This is what we do, and um, we're never going to be perfect. And environments constantly change. So, or uh, not constantly change, but they are evolving and changing. So these these are common questions to ask, and I bet. You know, hopefully we still have this radio show going in uh, 10 years, and hopefully you're documenting this show because I would like to bring it back up in 10 years and say, hey, are, are these the same questions that we were asked 10 years ago? Um, I bet you they're going to be the same. <laughs> 
So true, so true. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to tell you, I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, kudos to Allie. Gave us some great questions to, to kick us off. Love this series. And we have we have more coming in. Uh, and I'll have to go to a, I see both in our mailbox as well as our uh, voicemail. I'll be collecting those. To our audience, don't be shy. Uh, we want to hear from you. Do you agree, disagree? You can leave a, a message. I'm going to be tweeting out our voicemail number uh, so you can ponder it over the next two weeks. We'll be back with you in two weeks. Um, we're going to try and alternate some afternoons and some evenings, but look like from our audience and some of the, the new area codes I see, we've got some new nighttime listeners. Share with your colleagues and coworkers. And, and again, thank you so much, Tasha, for sharing this evening with us. Thank you, Coop, okay. for Absolutely. And, and, and thank you, Coop, for sharing your evening with us, as well as um, thank you to B2T for being our sponsors. Any last words from you, Tasha? No, just just very um, great conversation. I really enjoyed it, and thanks for the opportunity to share. And I'm just looking forward to the future questions we get. Absolutely. Good morning, absolutely. Everybody. Next, and next time we'll have a PM-led session and have a visiting BA. Yeah, no, I would love to be on that panel. I think Tasha and I would be happy to attend. Oh, yeah. Uh, we love that. We always love the perspective. That's going to be a great one as well. And yeah, and, and, um, and as Coop mentioned, yes, these questions will always be relative because we will always have new BAs and PMs coming into the environment and when you learn. So, yes, this is going to be cyclical. The next five years, yeah. we'll have a new, group, a new group, a new crop asking the same questions. Absolutely. Well, we aren't short of advice and answers and experience here. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jen. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Well, you all have a great evening. Thank you again to Javon for manning the phones for us. Thank you for our listeners, our guests. Uh, area code 904, stay tuned. We're going to have uh, more great uh, programming throughout the, the week. And uh, thank you again for all of your support of technology. So with that, that ends another episode of Ask the Analyst. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. This episode is sponsored by and features B2Ttraining.com. B2T Training has trained and equipped almost 15,000 of the most successful and high-performing practitioners of business analysis since the year 2000. Our courses are developed and taught by the most respected and highest qualified experts in the industry. We know that transforming the way you and your team perform business analysis is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And we understand that your business analysis practice has unique problems and deserves a unique program offering. Using our holistic approach, we will identify the pain points that will result in the best opportunity for your team or organization to realize the change they're trying to achieve. Change begins with knowledge and skills. Our learning events also include ongoing enrichment and reflective activities that provide students the boost they need to sustain their learning and competency. In other words, we make it stick. Get your business analysis training from the most respected and highest qualified source of experts in the industry. Find out more about our public class offerings in various U.S. locations or call to speak with one of our training solution sales associates toll-free at 866-675-2125. Follow us on social media and visit www.b2ttraining.com. That's B, the number 2, T, 
www.ttraining.com and see our full course outlines, blog, and free downloadable resources. We get it. We'll help you get it, too. BDPA is an international organization with a diverse membership of professionals and students at all levels in the fields of information technology, computer science, and related STEM fields. Members are actively engaged in serving the community through outreach and charting the future of the IT industry. The BDPA's model is advancing careers from the classroom to the boardroom. For the last 38 consecutive years, BDPA has held national conferences. This year's event will be held August 10th through the 13th at the West End Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Registration is now open. Visit BDPA.org to find out more about local chapters. BDPA has over 46 chapters across the United States and is always looking to launch new chapters. BDPA also has student information, technology education, and scholarship programs, and even a national high school computer competition program. Students have the opportunity to learn and explore potential careers in technology, as well as learning leadership skills to work well with the team. Students that participate in the computer competition can win college scholarships from major corporations looking for young talent. BDPA's National Conference also includes a career fair for job seekers. So mark those dates, August 10th through the 13th at the Westin Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. Register early and pass it on. The technology industry will continue to have jobs and business opportunities. Technology skills and aptitude will be a must for all. Industries and tech-related skills will allow job seekers to demand higher salaries. If you are a minority serious about a career in IT and you are not a member of BDPA, you are not really serious about your future. So log on now to BDPA.org to get started. You have been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. For a full list of our podcasts, social media handles, and upcoming shows, visit our web portal at www.technologyexpresso.com. Join our text club and get monthly alerts of upcoming events and initiatives. Text the phrase, full steam ahead, to 41411. Financial support and donations of any denominations are welcome. Your contributions help us sustain and reach undeserved communities who benefit from the many programs, role models, and technologists that we showcase. Thanks to our sponsors, partners, and thank you, our listeners. And remember, we encourage you to listen, learn, leverage, launch.